How you guys doing this morning? You feel okay? You guys look good. Uh, last Sunday morning, I was standing out back, you know, well, I guess out in the front where people were coming in, and uh, a little girl came in with, I guess it was her, her mother, and uh, I was like the only one standing out on the concrete because I wasn't quite up at the, the door just yet. And uh, when they walked past me, you know, I said good morning, that sort of stuff. And when they walked past me, I heard the little girl say, Mama, was that God? <laughs> it, was, it was cute. And I was like, boy, that's really funny. No. <laughs> no, uh, my name's Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River Church. Just so glad that you guys are here. Got a lot of work to do this morning and a lot of things that I want to say. I'm excited because... I feel like the things that I have this morning are things that God has put on my heart all week long. And so I'm just about to bust and I want to get to this thing. We're just going to be dealing with one verse today. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series called The Gospel. And it's a search to discover, you know, the essential Jesus. Who was Jesus? What was his message? And what does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we really live for him? And so we've gone through, or we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in what I think you could say is Jesus' most popular sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and we're really just getting into this thing. You know, Jesus probably preached the whole sermon in just a few minutes, but we're taking weeks to walk through it and unpack it. And we're just about, as you can see, we're about six verses in to Matthew chapter 5. Now, let me just kind of catch you up real quick to where we are. Jesus begins this service or this sermon with what is called the Beatitudes. There are eight or or nine. I don't want to get into that thing, but there are eight or nine of them. And they are called the blessed are statements. Like I'm reading from the New Living Translation and mine begins by saying, God blesses those who... But other translations, like the King James Version, maybe that's where you've heard of the Beatitudes before, it starts by saying, blessed are blank, dot, 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 kind of thing. The, the best way to understand Beatitudes, if you don't understand this, and you'll be lost for the rest of the day, is these are the blessed statements. In other words, this is the kind of life that if we live this life that Jesus is prescribing, This is how we are blessed. Does anybody in the room want to live a blessed life? Two people, three people, few, okay, a few. I'm just just curious. Is there anybody in the room that doesn't want to have a blessed life? You raise your hand? No, because we all want to be blessed. Jesus says, these are the things that if you'll make them a part of your life, I will bless. Now listen, these are not just some ideas. These are not, hey, um, here, here are some suggestions that might help you get a little more out of life. Jesus says that if you want to follow me, this is the way you'll live. And if you don't live this way, you're not really following me. The stakes are high on these Beatitudes. And so that's why we're spending so much time unpacking them. You can see, of course, that this morning we're dealing with Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And uh, since it's just one verse, I'm not going to ask you guys to stand up. I know you have been for a little while, but I just want you to read this out loud with me. Can you do that? You willing to do that? 
just with lots of 11 o'clock gusto, here we go, out loud, everybody. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Okay, that's not too bad, but let's, let's try it again. You ready? God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. If you'll look in your bulletin, there's uh, some message notes in there. I want you to pull those things out. I'm not going to do fill in the blanks today, but I want you to take some notes. You're going to have to work for these just a little bit. Um, let's just dive in. I want to give you three statements for how you live this out, for how to own this in your life. Are you ready? Here's the first one. I have to realize, and this is the way you should be putting it on your paper, I have to realize that my hunger is spiritual. I have to realize that my hunger is spiritual. Uh, if, you, if you were in here for the beginning of the service... We did the Rolling Stones satisfaction, but we did the Ed Sullivan version because, you know, if just the regular version of that is maybe a little too much to do in church. So the guys with YouTube saw that the Stones had sang this years ago. Anybody here old enough to know who Ed Sullivan is? I'm just assuming that you do. Maybe you've seen just there's 10 of us. Okay. I, I didn't actually live in the Ed Sullivan days. I do want to say that right off the bat. But I, I know about Ed Sullivan. The guys YouTubed it, and they had a version that Ed Sullivan said was okay for his show. And so that's the version that we did. But you know what's interesting about that? Is that the Stones, and I think they may still do just a few concerts every year. The Stones are still singing, I can't get no. I can't sing at all, can I? Satisfaction. That's enough, Catherine. I can't. Except he's walking around, you know, I can't get no. You know, he's got his own way of doing it. He, he, I'm telling you, I saw him a few years ago at Panther Stadium, and he's still doing it that same way, like he's 20 years old, and still singing, I can't get no satisfaction. Which is kind of curious, don't you think? It's kind of curious because you would think, I mean, a celebrity as he is, I mean, isn't he a knight in England? They've knighted him and all that stuff. I mean, you would just think that with everything that life has given him, that he would have satisfaction. You would think they would come up with a new song. Hey, this is how I found the satisfaction. I found it on the road. I found it in a one-night stand. I found it in the best food in the world. I found it in all my Maseratis and my Ferraris. I found it in my big home. I found it in my island in Fiji. But he doesn't. He don't have any more satisfaction today than he had back then on the Ed Sullivan Show. Why? Because he has an empty space inside of him that is just like the empty space in your life. All of us in our lives have a God-sized, God-shaped cavity that only God can fill. The things of this world, the pleasures of this world, no matter how good they can be, and you just think about your own life, if you excelled to the very top of your business, if you became the president and CEO of Bank of America you wouldn't have the cash stash and the lifestyle that Mick Jagger has right now. If you were doing it the best in your business that it could possibly done, you wouldn't 
have the lifestyle that Mick Jagger has. He's got it all. And with all the entertainment, all the stuff, all the women, all the food, all the cars, all the homes, all the clothes, all the fame, I can't get no satisfaction. Because the hole inside of us is a spiritual one. And you can pour a better job, better home, another wife, another husband, better kids, better education. You can keep pouring it into that God-sized hole. But it'll be like a bottomless pit in your life. The only thing that can fill that hole is Jesus, who is the Christ. So the hunger that you walked in this morning, whether this is your first time in church ever or the first time in years, or you've been coming through the doors of this church for 11 years now, if you're hungry this morning and you're dissatisfied with life, there's a spiritual need in your life. The hunger you're experiencing is of a spiritual nature. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. I have to stop eating spiritual junk food. I'm not talking about Doritos and jalapeno dip here, okay? You can still eat that. You shouldn't. But I'm not a health preacher, in case you haven't noticed. But I know a few things about the Scriptures. Stop eating spiritual junk food. Let me give you some definitions. The, the first thing that you should write down is righteousness. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous? Because it's almost like we ought to say that with a William Shakespearean kind of voice, you know, righteousness. You know, it's almost like one of those, one of those big words that only an English person could say. And it's like this unattainable kind of thing because who can be righteous? I mean, how many of us even call ourselves righteous? How, what is righteousness to begin with? Here's a simple definition. It's doing what God says is right. It's doing what God says is right. Now let's talk about hunger and thirst. In first century Palestine, when Jesus is talking to this group of people out by the Sea of Galilee, and he says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst. He's talking to a group of people who know what that means. You and I, we don't really know what it means to be hungry and thirsty because usually the hunger that we think about can be satisfied with a donut and a cup of coffee between breakfast and lunch. It can be solved with a pack of chips and a Pepsi in the afternoon before you have dinner. So we don't really understand what hungry means. We don't really understand what it means to be thirsty because for us... Water is as close as the nearest faucet. But these people knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty because they would wake up every day thinking, where are we going to get enough food for the day? The average day laborer who's sitting in that crowd that Jesus is preaching this sermon to made three pennies a day. 
the equivalent of three cents a day. You don't get fat off of that paycheck. These people live their lives on the edge of being hungry and thirsty all the time. And they're always thinking about something else to eat. Jesus knew that. He knew that when he was talking to them. He knew that most of them hadn't had a decent breakfast that morning. If it was after lunch, he knew that they didn't have much of a lunch. He knew that depending on what time of the week it is, they probably hadn't even had any meat. They're hungry. And Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst, not for the next meal, but thirst to know the mind of God, to know what God says is right, and then you do it. And that person, they'll be satisfied. So how how do we understand this? Because again, I mean, well, it's a quarter to 11 or quarter to 12. So most of us are a little bit hungry. We, we, we know that lunch is coming. So our, our internal clock has already got us thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. But we're not really hungry. So it doesn't mean, you know, the food thing. So what does it mean? Jesus is saying to us, God blesses those who starve or want more than anything else to know what God says is right, and they do it. Because to know what is right means to know the will of God. Now, now look, I want you to stay with me because I could lose you right here, and I don't want to do that because this is too, 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 too important. We are so caught up, and you probably can't help but to be this way at work. Depending on what your work environment is, you, you probably can't help but to be this way at work. But you, you can't be this way when it comes to the things of God. Because at work, there are long-range plans. And your company, whether it's a big company or a small company, there's a CEO somewhere who's driving the vision and driving the agenda of the business that you're working in. And so what it, the way this works best in a company is, is that you share the vision, show the plan, here are the goals, this is where we're trying to go to, everybody work toward this. Here's what happens in church. A lot of people think that we ought to bring that same strategy into the church. Hey, these should be our goals for this year. This should be our goals for a five-year, here's our 10-year plan, 25-year plan, and now let's everybody go to work on that. It doesn't work like that in the economy of God. God gives us what's next. Hunger and thirsting for God's righteousness means that you're hungering and thirsting for what God wants you to do next. Not to give you a five-year plan. That's why some of you are frustrated following the Lord because you want what's coming for five years. He's not going to give you that. I realized this years ago when I started Rocky River Church because I, it, was a, it was a time in the life of the, the church, I, I mean, capital T, capital C, church, the church, where churches were trying to be businesslike hey, let's go and look at IBM and figure out their business model for how to grow a great company, and then we'll just apply those same strategies and goal setting to the church. 
And so, so I can remember when we started Rocky River, I had this really, I guess it, it didn't seem so naive to me, but, but it did to a lot of the, the business people who are around me and, and the pastors who were trying to mentor me to help me start this church. Because what I wanted to do is just get a group of people together, whoever would come, open up the scriptures and start teaching them. Create a sacred space where people feel welcome and God feels welcome. And we'll just preach the word. We'll give invitations. We'll pray. And we'll just let God do whatever he wants to. They're like, man, that'll never work. That's not the way you do this thing. You need a five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year on, a 15-year plan, so on and so on. So I started doing that. Man, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, you do that? I didn't go to business school. I went to seminary. How, what does that look like? Okay, so and I think I even said this to the very first group of people who met to get Rocky River Church started in my living room some 12 years or so ago. Uh, gosh, five-year plan, five-year plan. Five years, we'd like to have 5,000 people, $5 million budget, uh, 50 acres of land somewhere, and just dominating the whole Cabarrus County University area. <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds ridiculous to even say that out loud. I did say it out loud 12 years ago. I'll tell you what I've learned. I, I've learned that hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God means simply saying, Lord, what do you want us to do next? And then do that. And that's the way it should work in your life. It's where you just say, God, I want to do your will above everything else. I'm going to abandon my agenda. It's not about me. It's all about you and what you want to do in my life. What's next? And then you do that. I don't know if you guys know Rick Warren. Maybe you've heard of uh, The Purpose Driven Life book that he wrote. The book he wrote that really changed my life, though, was The Purpose Driven Church. I read it a couple of years before we started Rocky River Church. It's one of the books that God really used to stir in my life, the vision and dream to start this church. And Rick Warren brought the church into the 20th century, kicking and screaming. You're not a program-driven church. You become a purpose-driven church, and, and you set up the church, and you operate by the five purposes in Acts chapter 2. But what I believe and what I hunger for, what I long for, is not the purpose-driven church. That's fine. But the spirit-driven church. Lord, what do you want us to do next? And we'll do that. And you can figure out how to relate this to, to your life, but here's how I'll relate it to my life and leading this church. Last night, I was with, uh, with some friends celebrating a, a birthday, and uh, one of my friends came in, and she gave me this little souvenir. It's got, it's got a couple of um, Hershey's Kisses in it, and it had a rock, and it had a little note in there from, and it was, it was all like a keepsake from a banquet that we had in 2006, November 2006, and I think it was the weekend before Thanksgiving, we had finished our Imagine campaign and we thought we had raised enough money and that we would be able to get our financing from the bank and we could start building in 2007. 
And I, I looked at that, and she, she told me I could keep it, and I'll keep it forever because I think in my other one, I just took out the Hershey's Kisses and ate those and threw away, away the rocks. So I'm really glad to have, I didn't throw it away, but I don't have it anymore. And I'm glad to have it. I'll, I'll hang on to that. But I remember looking at that thing last night thinking, this is my plan. Breaking ground next weekend is God's plan. And that's the way our staff, that's the way our leaders are living right now. You need to know that because at times that might be frustrating to you. But if you want to know how we're leading the church, we're praying. This is the way you need to be leading your life. Lord, what do you want us to do next? Okay, we'll do that. It may seem stupid, but if you're telling us to do it, that's what we're going to do next. You still with me? You got that? Doesn't that make sense? Um, this beatitude is a little different than the others. I mean, they're all different because they all have a different message. But this beatitude, this blessed are or happy are statement, it should give us comfort and it ought to also scare us. Let me show you how it, it gives us comfort. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. One translation says they, they will be comforted. They'll have exactly what they need. So if you're a person who hunger and thirst for the mind of God, to know the will of God, to ask, okay, what do you want to do next? What do you want me to do next? And then you're doing that thing, then you should be comforted. If you're not doing that, there should be some real cause for concern. And let me tell you why. Because this goes straight to the question of salvation. Do you want Christ or not? See, here's something else that we need to stop doing. We need to stop snacking on God. Because for most of us, God is just something else that we put in our diet. And what Jesus is saying is that I ought to be the diet. The other stuff is the peripheral things in your life. I'm the main course. Jesus is the big slab of meat on the plate. You can do what you want to with the parsley, but Jesus is the main course. You can leave the sides if you want to, but you ought to finish the steak. You see what I'm saying? I'm hungry right now. And if you don't hunger and thirst for him, if you don't love him more than football, if you don't love him more than sex, if you don't love him more than your husband or your wife or your children, something is wrong. And I realize that this has the tendency to thin out the crowd. And Jesus had a way of doing that. Because when you're giving out fish, 
and you're giving out bread, everybody wants to come and eat that. But Jesus isn't feeding the multitudes today with bread and fish. He's feeding them himself. So where are you at on that? What you hungry for the most? That's the question of salvation. Do you love anything else more? Do you hunger and thirst for Christ? And before you answer that question, let me say that it's easy to say yes in here. Because this is a safe environment, isn't it? It's sacred space. I mean, in here, we're worshiping the Lord and we're praising Him and we're praying. And, you know, there are reasonably nice people in the room. And, you know, the preacher's preaching. And, hey, yeah, do I love Jesus? Yes, I do. Do you hunger and thirst for Jesus? Man, yeah, we love Him. We're just all about Jesus. Well, what about when you're sitting in front of your computer screen with your hand on the mouse and you're about to click on that pornography? You love Jesus more than that? Will you love him? more than anything else, and hunger and thirst after Him more than anything else if your whole world goes south? Will you love Him more than anything else and want Him and want to know Him more than anything else when you're in bankruptcy court, when you've lost your job, when you've lost your house, when you're in a living room with a teenager that you can't get through to? Will you love Him more than anything else when your baby dies? Will you love him more than anything else when the doctor says it's cancer? That goes to salvation. And the reason I'm pushing so hard on this today is because my worst nightmare, my worst nightmare as a pastor, the thing that if I'm worrying, this is what I'm worrying about, is that so many of you are here this morning and you think you're saved and you're not. You think you love Jesus, but you really don't. Your salvation is not based on a hunger and thirst for Christ, but it's based on the Methodist tradition that you grew up with or the Baptist tradition that you grew up with or your Lutheran beliefs that you grew up with or your Catholic faith that you grew up with or your Jewish faith that you grew up with. You're trusting in those things. But if there's no want for Christ, if there's no hunger and thirst for Him, then this beatitude should not give you comfort today. It ought to scare you to death. It ought to scare you to death. We did a series, I don't know, a couple years ago now called So You're Dead, Now What? 
And one of the statements that I made in that series just about every Sunday, I think, was what you believe about death will determine how you live today. Let me tell you how real death is. One of my buddies in the church, in this service, right now, will be burying one of his best friends tomorrow. He was killed a night or two ago on a motorcycle. And my buddy talked to him, probably the last words he ever said to anybody who spoke to my friend on the phone. And tomorrow they're burying him. One day we're going to bury you. What you believe in this life matters in the next life. You, you better not be trusting in some Baptist preacher that you grow up with, like my grandpa, the Baptist preacher, who led me to the Lord. I can't trust my grandpa for my salvation. Or even that experience that I had all those many years ago in that sweet little church and that experience. The question for my salvation today is, do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I hunger and thirst for Christ? That's your question today. Do you hunger and thirst for Him? If you don't, you should be worried about it. Here's the last thing that I want you to write down, and we'll move through this. Turn to Jesus for satisfaction. Turn to Jesus for the satisfaction. There are a couple of verses I want to read to you out of the Gospel of John, chapter 6. It's verses 35 and 51. Just, just listen to these. Jesus said, I'm the breath of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. There's some words in there that you need to hear. The first one is whoever. Let me speak to the whoever's in this room. Because the temptation is to think, well, this is Jesus talking He's talking to a crowd, must be a church crowd, must be a relatively good crowd, fairly moral. Not necessarily. Jesus is not talking to the people who pretty much have the morality thing figured out. He's talking to real people, regular people, just like you and me. He's talking to sinful people. He's talking to all of the whosoever's in that group. He's talking to the whosoever's in this group, and that includes you. Not just the religious people, not just the pretty people, not just the nice people, not just the Baptist people. He's just talking to people. So he's talking to you. So where do you fit in the whoever crowd? Because there are some whoever's here this morning, and you grew up in church. You, you grew up like I did. Jesus was just always a part of your life, always a part of your family. Do you hunger and thirst for Jesus? 
If you don't, Jesus says, then come. Whosoever will, come, believe, eat, and drink. What about the whosoever's in the, in the room who've never been to church? Never really even had an opportunity to accept Jesus before. And so you don't feel worthy. You need like to clean up or get your act together or stop cussing or something like that. That stuff doesn't have anything to do with salvation. He's talking to the whosoever's in the room, no matter who you are or where you've been in life or what you've done or what's been done to you. No matter what your problems are, no matter what your baggage is, Jesus says, come, believe, eat, and drink. And some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you can remember when when you first got saved, when you first met the Lord, you, you were just all about reading your Bible and you, you had like this big horse choker, knock a horse down size Bible, look looked like something the preacher would carry. And you read it all the time and you prayed all the time and you talked to everybody you knew about Jesus. But just over the years, not so much. And so you, you've lost that hunger and thirst for Jesus. Jesus says... Whosoever will come, believe, eat, drink. What are you going to do with that this morning? What are you going to do with it? Where, where do you fit in the whosoever's? Let's stand together. And uh, I want to pray for us. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to pray with me. I'm just going to ask everybody in the room to pray. If you don't have a hunger and thirst for Christ today, then you pray this prayer. Just say, God, today, I'm turning my hunger and my thirst to you. Just say, I know I haven't been living my life for you, but I want that to change, and I want it to change right now. I want you to be the priority of my life. I want you to be first. I want you to be what I seek after, what I hunger for, what I thirst for. And so whether you've been a Christian for years and you've lost your hunger and thirst, or whether you've never began a relationship with Jesus, just say this. Just say, Today, Jesus, I come to you and I come believing. I'm bringing all my baggage. I'm bringing all the times I tried to live for you and didn't. I'm bringing all of my sin. I'm bringing all of my junk. And I'm just, I'm bringing it to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me for it. Forgive me for where I've messed up in life. And now make me want you more than anything else. Give me a hunger and a thirst to get into 
your word and start reading it so you can speak to me. And through that, make me want to talk to you in prayer. I know that a relationship with you is your will for my life. And so as I take that step today, help me to take the next steps. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.